Good morning, and you're back at the Jesuit Institute R here on Radio Veritas. And this morning on the line, I have with me Anne Baker from the Catholic Institute for Education. Anne, good morning. Good morning, Francis, and good morning to all your listeners. Thank you so much, and thank you for joining us this morning. Um, It's a pleasure to be here. So we're wanting to just chat a little bit uh, not only about Catholic education, I think we'll come to that in a moment, but just about education in the country in general. And I'm, I'm very conscious that we've heard some shocking reports about education in South Africa recently. Given that we spend a significant portion of our budget, that's not including um, private education, but a significant portion of state funds go to education, and it appears that so many of our children actually are not learning to read. They're not learning basic math skills. And I just, I just wonder about your thoughts. You're in education. Your thoughts on the crisis of ed- in education in the country at the moment? Well, I think it's very, very sad because um, we, 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 we face the other end of this with young people drop out and have nothing. Mm-hmm. So the, the lack of basic... When I say basic, um, it's a bit of a misnomer, that word, because it says, are you giving them the minimum? Yeah. <laughs> you know, the word basic is a, maybe we should say a foundational education or something like that. And that's where the problem is. There's a lack of early childhood education. Mm-hmm. So many children arrive at school without the fine motor skills, the, the, even some of the large motor skills to be able to cope with grade R, right. which is really preschool, but is being turned into a quasi-grade one. So then you have another problem. Children are not learning by playing. Learning by playing is important right throughout school, which sounds weird, but isn't weird. It means that when we play, we discover things about ourselves, we discover things about others, and we gain knowledge. So preschool is very, very important. And uh, I'm, I'm not sure of the statistics, but masses of our children don't have any form of preschool stimulation. They get to grade R, and then they're almost being put into formal school. Um, and formal school, for some schools, is very strict and rigid. You'll sit in your desk for four hours, then you'll have a break, then you'll sit in your desk again for and four hours. And we're talking at grade R, how old are these kids? A, a look, and I say I've got complaints against some of our best schools are not letting children have enough playtime. Right. Um, Finland, which is ha- held up as uh, sort of the best education in the world, apart from the fact that they only have five million people, <laughs> is one of the things they do is they have 40 minutes, 45 minutes of class and then half an hour play. Wow. And then 45 minutes of class, then half an hour, because they say children cannot uh, um, cannot manage to learn if they haven't played and relaxed. So it's a very interesting thing. So that's the first thing. So when the children come, they have a deficit to begin with, okay. which is very scary. And the, the statistics prove that that deficit is not being closed. So let, let's say in a model, an ex-model C school, which they, a model C school no longer exists, but you take the ex-model C school and, and a rural school or a township school and there will be a gap and nothing narrows that gap as they go through school. It just gets bigger and bigger. It just gets bigger and bigger, yes. So then, then you have to ask yourself, do we blame the teachers? And... Yes and no. That's a very unfair 
criticism because the teachers have been buffeted from all sides by change. Mm -hmm. And we all know that we all react differently to change. Some some of us like to embrace change or embrace change in one aspect of our lives and not in another. But these teachers have had uh, many curriculum changes. They now have a very clear um, statement of what they should do. In fact, maybe too rigid. It stops any creativity. But it does say you need to do this, this, and this. The latest criticism is in the foundation phase, there's too much in the curriculum. A grade one cannot learn that maths in one year. Right. Now, that's a very interesting thing. And this is research that says there's too much. Um, so what the teachers, what's happening to teachers, and people might not know this, but um, the department has things called pace setters. Now, a pace setter goes into a school and examines where the teacher is in relation to the curriculum and chewies them on because if they're too far behind. And the teacher says, but the children haven't learned that first part. How can I move on to the second part? So... It's almost like we've got, we're in the catch-22. We want to get through the curriculum, but if children aren't managing it or teachers aren't managing to be able to teach them, we have a major problem. Okay. Can, can we just take a step back and talk a little bit about what might be going on that's making it so difficult for so many children to, to, um, to get the basic skills they need in those foundation in those foundation years. So I, I speak as the mother of at least two learning two kids with learning disabilities, gross and gross motor cohort problems. So I have some sense mm. that, you know, one can come from any kind of background and have one of these things hit you. But what I'm struck by is that most of the children in my kids' classes are coping much better than my own children do. Mm. Um but I'm aware that there are other factors if you go into a township or a, even more significantly maybe into some of the rural schools that would come into play with, for instance, the grant system and and adequate food and adequate exposure to playgrounds, to stimulating activities. So can you talk to me a little bit about that? Well, they, they're talking now about the first 100 days of life, and by okay. that they mean conception. Ah, so there's maternal health is a major issue. Okay. So if a, if a mother does not receive the right uh, prenatal care, what does that do? Right. So we, we're all the way back to conception. All the way back. And, and this, is, this is quite interesting to understand that people said that before, but they said it from a, not from a sense of research. So now they're saying, give a mother good nutrition. Enable her to give birth in a safe and uh, caring environment um, and then be able to breastfeed. Now, here you come with something that is huge and for a working mother, a major challenge. So if, if I'm a working mother and I have a child and I have to go back to work after whatever the maternity leave in my company is, do I put the child on the bottle? They're now talking about six months pure breastfeeding for the brain development of children. Which is, which is impossible for some mothers. And of course some mothers, we must never knock bottle feeding because it is nutritious and it, and it does provide. Then there's the, 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 the maternal stimulation. Does, does the mother or the caregiver stimulate that child from when they're tiny? Do they even understand that that's necessary? Mm-hmm. I have a friend who's a, she's actually somebody you might like to interview. She's a world class dietitian and she's been to refugee camps, that sort of thing. And she was telling me that they, 
they provide a food for children. And so many grams of this a day has got all the child's nutritional requirements. But the mothers don't want to give it to the children because the children become more active and the mothers don't have the energy to look after the children. So you're, you're always caught up in this hunger spiral. Now, I want to say that this, the grant has enormously helped our children. The, the child care grant has been one of the saving graces of, our, of the children of South Africa. Uh, and it's proved, statistically it's proved, it. we even have proof of it in our small uh, health screening program that we do. Because children are getting food along with school feeding, okay, the holidays become a really big problem. Uh, but that food is helping children. A child cannot learn if they go to school hungry. Mm. They just can't. It's a physical fact. So, so, so you, we're talking about quite a complex system that affects that early learning. Mm-hmm. And then those, the children go to school often with mother tongue. Now, one of the misnomers we have to um, debunk is that there's such a thing as um, a school that's all one mother tongue. It doesn't exist. So let's take the Eastern Cape, for example, up, up, up near Lesotho. There will be children that speak Sutu and there will be children that speak Isikosa. So in Gauteng, you can have 10 languages in one class. So this, this creates a tension. What does the teacher teach in? Usually her own mother tongue. Mm-hmm. Then what is her confidence about teaching? Um, does she actually know how to teach reading? And what I think happened, and I've had this discussion with some, with some teachers, and it's quite interesting. With all the changes, they almost thought that what they did before wasn't right. But if they'd carried on doing what they did before, the children would be reading better. Okay. You know? So there's, there's that. Maths is a major problem. Um, I've got some colleagues who are implementing a maths program in, uh, I think it's in the Sekakuni district, in public schools, not in Catholic schools, and they say that the teachers just don't know where they are with maths. They'll teach one concept today, they don't, they'll teach a different one tomorrow, there's no, there's no system or progression. So it's almost like you have to help the teacher to understand that. Um, can I another just... interesting fact yeah. I can, uh, is that there is currently a study being done, it's a longitudinal study, on the quality of teachers leaving universities today. Mm-hmm. And it's not good. Right. So, so even in this day and age, and that's why you hear the cry for get teacher training colleges back, they were more focused. But we know that in the apartheid system, those teacher training colleges were quasi-high schools. They did not teach. I mean, you could leave school with a grade 10, go and do two years, and you had a two-year teacher diploma. Now, if you were white, you wouldn't have been allowed in a school with a matric because that's what the equivalent was. But we 21 years into the new South Africa, and teachers, as I say, feel disabled. They often feel um, criticized and put upon. When we do work, and, and we did, when we did, uh, interestingly, we did child safeguarding workshops to try and create a, a much more conscious idea about how it is the teacher's duty to keep children safe at school. One of the things that they said was that they felt overwhelmed, 
disempowered, um, not appreciated. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. That was the, the and that came out of a, a wide selection of schools. Mm-hmm. So, so we we have teachers who are struggling. We have other incredibly dedicated teachers who do amazing things. So it, it, it's a mixed bag. And then let's bring the unions into it, mm-hmm. and we have another whole nightmare. I just heard yesterday one of our schools in one of the provinces, a sister is the principal, where Sabtu came in, barged into her office and verbally abused her. Wow. Now, is that what we want in our country today? Or because one teacher whose husband is high up in Sabtu um, is complaining. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I mean, there's there's a real sense that um, the report published last year uh, by the team led by John Volmick mm-hmm. really talked about the role of SUGTU as being um, distinctly unhelpful to education in the country at the moment. Mm-hmm. Which uh, I, I, we'd I, agree. We experience it when there's appointments to be made. Mm-hmm. You see, some of the Catholic schools are very, very good. So they are sought after mm-hmm. um, for principals. Mm. And then we, we, that's where we struggle is when, in the public schools, that is, where um, somebody wants that job for somebody. So what, what John Bolmick's report spoke about was jobs for cash, they called it that. Right. And our staff have been telling us this for at least four years. They'd say, I'm suspicious about that appointment. I think the school governing body was paid to appoint that person. Wow. Very interesting. So you we, know, that what people suspected and believed was happening was happening. And, and, and the, with the rumor mongering we get in our country, sometimes you can think, oh, that's just, what do we call it today? Fake news. <laughs> you know? yeah. But it wasn't. So, so there is a, a real sense of, of sector undermining the, um, the, the transparent appointment of, 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 of teachers as head, as, as head Yes, teachers. Yes. And, and I think that if you speak to the National Department of Basic Education, uh, they will tell you their struggles. Right. I mean, uh, the, the Eastern Cape has been said to have been captured. And that's why, nothing, that's why improvements can't take place. And I think Limpopo is not much better. And then when you look at matric results, you'll see that they're low in those, those provinces. Right. So again, we're looking at kind of at widespread corruption at the local level that's really impacted negatively on the lives of families and of children and, and imperiling the future of young people. Totally. Okay. I want to ask you some other difficult questions, just some mm. questions about, about Catholicism and, and the church's role really uh, in education. I, um, you mentioned the last time we spoke that it's been a long time since any Catholic uh, schools have been built, but most of the schools are historic schools that have been around for a while. We're looking at how many children were not could not find places in education this year. We're aware that the schools are are, are at bursting point. Um, when when you know you go into classrooms that are designed for 25 children and they've got 40 children squashed into the classroom, we can see that we need more schools. What's been done? inside of the church to, to, to rise to this challenge of building new schools, of, of creating new spaces for education? Not much. Mm-hmm. Not much, and dare I say nothing. The new schools I know have been started. Um, they've, they've grown out of 
um, informal settlement schools, um, caring for preschoolers so parents could go to work and then that then starting grade one and going up. And I think that's two schools that I can speak of. There was, I think there was another one school in another province in the last five, six years, but no new schools are being built. In fact, I think that the owners of schools are finding Catholic schools are quite a burden because they do require a lot of energy to keep them going to to, to maintain and that sort of thing. So, no, there's no new schools being built. And, and, you... and I find that quite sad um, because the church's evangelizing, education is part of the church's evangelizing mission. And I think we might have, we might have lost that kind of vision, even though our bishops have placed education at the center of their concerns. Um, our, our religious congregations are diminishing in numbers due mm-hmm. to age, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that that's all had an effect. But then I suppose the challenge is to us as laity, what are we doing? Yeah. What are we doing as church um, to, to support education? In, in our Catholic schools, and, or build Catholic schools. As I, I think I said to you in the last conversation, I went to Mass in a par- parish in Johannesburg, and there were so many young people, I thought we should build a school here tomorrow, and we'd fill it. And when I say young, I mean from preschool up. up. That, that, that there, isn't, there isn't a problem about finding the kids. The problem is finding the places in schools. And finances to run schools. And finances to run schools. And I, I mean, you know, you say that, and I'm, I'm really conscious when uh, Bantu education was brought in and Catholic schools were uh, had their state subsidies taken away way back when, the church raised an enormous amount of money. Ordinary people raised an enormous amount of money in this country to keep... The, the Catholic schools open. And it, it kind of strikes me that at the moment there may be the public will to really be behind um, a movement like that to, 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 to maintain Catholic schools and to open new ones. What do you think of that? I, I, think, that, I think that's a very good idea, and I think that we, somebody <laughs> needs to start it. In fact, a very well-known um, a person did address the owners a few years back to say the church has such enormous... Um, power in the sense that you've got all these people uh, in church on Sundays. How do we take the? How do we start a, a, a quality education campaign? That's what she was saying, um, and and that would be educating parents. Look, we've got parents that might not know what their rights as parents are vis-à-vis the education of their children. Yeah, you know. They don't know that if they get onto a school governing body as a good citizen, they can make a difference. You know, as those are, those are some of the issues. Are we as Catholics good citizens? Do we try to bring about change where we can? Um, I mean, the number of Catholic teachers. I'm not talking about in Catholic schools. About schools is yeah. enormous. Some dioceses have tried to form teachers' organisations because there's so many teachers. They're, not, they're teaching in all sorts of schools. Now, how do we inspire those teachers to give up their very best? How do we inspire a parish to say, well, we know the children are struggling with reading. Let's start a reading club. So mm. we don't necessarily just have to build a school. There are many ways that education can come about and be better. Um, I mean, you hear of young people that start a homework club because they haven't got anything better to do and they're helping younger children. 
are we so worried about other aspects of church life that we forget the importance of education? So, I mean, I think, again, what you're talking about here um, seems to me very much in line with, with Pope Francis's uh, pontificate, which we're going to be talking about more next week, but uh, really a shift away from a focus on sacramentalism uh, and, and everything that happens in the sacristy and, and thinking about the church in the world, uh, a real need for the church to, to rediscover its um, role, I like that sense, that Francis talks about as being in the world, as being with the people, um, so yeah, that, that I absolutely agree. I was very privileged to be at a congress in Rome in 2015, the first ever big Catholic education congress, and that mm-hmm. involved universities as well as schools. Mm-hmm. And the Pope's address was absolutely incredible. There's no other word. He he was a teacher, and you knew it from every word that he said. Mm-hmm. You know, it was beautiful. Excellent. Okay. On that inspiring note, I'm going to say thank you very much, Anne. This has been a helpful conversation, and uh, hopefully we'll chat to you again sometime. Thanks, Francis. It's been very nice to talk to you. Thank you very much, and goodbye to the listeners. Okay. We're going to listen to a piece of music now by Bernadette Farrell. <laughs> 